this one not so long ago when pictures didn't talk she did her communicating with rod laroque valentino and a score of other pop-eyed foreign male leads by means of a black lace fan usually to their ruin in the last reel she was billed as anique dirige which if my drawing-room french isn't too rusty translates as Annie of the Erection, and she had her day right up until she tested for her first role in a talkie, and her flatbush accent landed her on her girdle, square in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard. Since then, along with a dead husband and property, she's acquired a fair approximation of a Parisian way of speech which only deserts her when one of her succession of bad housekeepers neglects to clean an apartment she wants to show prospective tenant, or she encounters a word ending in R. Underneath that voluminous gypsy scarf and pound and a half of makeup, she's a good old gal with a heart as big as a Tennessee walker. Daughter Myra's more steely-eyed, with a clearer view of what she wants out of the film trade, and how to get it, than her mother ever had. But she's sweet-tempered and more patient with an old man's gorilla ways than most people her age. I think she's been an extra in a couple of programmers over at Fox. I know she sleeps with an assistant director there, and that's more than her mother knows. Women confide in me. Always have. A deal more than three thousand miles and seventy-two years separates my palm-lined neighborhood from the Fifth Avenue of my youth, where I recall strolling home one day, a boy of sixteen, with my father from his club, and stopping to converse with one George Frederick Jones, a courtroom acquaintance of father's, and his wife Lucretia. Jones was six feet and bore himself erect beside his bird-like and exquisitely seamstressed wife, who was pushing a perambulator. Its occupant, a grave little girl about a year old in a sparkling white linen dress and a starched bonnet trimmed with pink lace, took no notice of the conversation, appearing to be preoccupied with the gold elk's tooth depending from my father's watch-chain, which dangled tantalizingly at her eye-level when he stooped gallantly to retrieve the wood-rattle that had dropped from her hand to the sidewalk." Ten or twelve years ago I was amused upon reading The Age of Innocence by Mrs. Edith Jones Wharton to learn that the Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist had retained her fascination with such details more than half a century after saying farewell to perambulators and rattles. How different our lives have been! I've known associations whose gold teeth were extracted with a blacksmith's tongs from the jaws of their previous owners. But I am getting my verses mixed up. I'll sing them in their time. My father was an expert jurist in a court system that routinely awarded the black robes to men who had simply managed to avoid personal scandal. Before that, He was a brilliant and dedicated attorney with a firm whose partners had ascended to their positions by arranging not to be stillborn. 
So much genius and industry might have been regarded as unseemly in the New York society of the middle of the last century, but for his celebrated family. That, together with my mother's line, less illustrious but nearly as old, guaranteed him membership in all the best clubs and, by projection, the finest of musical educations for his only son. I don't know how old I was when I first clambered aboard the stool of the Steinway Grand in the conservatory of our Fifth Avenue townhouse, but I am told that at age three I was pecking out the opening chords to Will You Come to the Bower without benefit of sheet music. My parents lost no time in engaging a tutor. One of my earliest memories is fearsome. A child with legs too short to reach the pedals attempts the bridge to the Moonlight Sonata over and over while an ancient dragon of a Viennese piano master with a Louis Napoleon goatee.